There are two marketing elements as a real estate investor that you probably cannot do without. One is a website and the other is a logo. These are two visual representations of your personal brand that are often the first point of reference, or at least a very early impression that people have of you and your real estate investing business. Your logo needs to be both a reflection of your brand, but also appealing to others. One thing that we have to try and balance when we are designing for people and creating logos and, and putting together a brand identity is you have this whole color psychology that you um, can look into. And just like you were saying, blue is kind of evokes this feeling of trust. Colors like yellow are going to make you more happy and excited. So depending on what your goal is and what your business is, you can play around with different colors to kind of evoke those feelings and emotions in people. So we have to balance that with also personal preference because it is a personal brand. And the same applies to your website. People's attention spans are short and they are busy. You have very little time to grab their attention. People spend less than a minute on per page on your website. So you have less than 60 seconds to really capture someone's attention. So a couple of things you, you want to get right off the bat is you want them to know when they land on your page, who you are and who you serve so that they know that this website is right for them to hopefully prolong that 60 seconds as long as possible. But you have to be careful about what you're putting in front of your brand new website visitors, because if it's the wrong approach, you will lose them fast. So a lot of people, when you land on the website, instantly want to throw that in your face. And then, like you said, it's really annoying and you don't even necessarily know who is offering that to you yet. So what you want is you want them to be able to land on your hero section. You want them to be able to see who you are and start to build that know and trust that people need before purchasing from you. That was Monica Mangelson and her husband, Austin, a young graphic and web designer couple who are traveling the world as they help business owners get clarity on their brand values in order to build bomb websites and branding that totally represents them. These two are very passionate about building an online presence that captures the personal brand of the business owner. We really want to get to know our clients so that we can build a website that represents them. So that whole pre-prep process is just getting to know them so that when we do build a website, it truly reflects who they are and who their brand is. And I think there's two aspects. There's the, the design and the aesthetics of the website, and there's the strategy. And I think the strategy, personally, I believe the strategy is more important than the design. In our conversation, we cover quite a wide range of the important elements that you need to be considering when it comes to your own website, what tools to use, what content to have. So whether you're in the process of getting one started or have an existing website, you need to understand what you should and shouldn't be doing. And even Austin and Monica admit, even they make a mistake. Plus, they're also going to take you through their five-step logo design process called Feast, which will ensure that you have a visual representation of your business that you're proud to put on a business card, your website, and even a giant billboard. In my discussions with my real estate investing clients, the logo and the website are often the most talked about elements of their personal brands. And after you listen to this episode, you'll appreciate why you need to be paying more attention to them too. All this after the break. This is REI Branded, the podcast all about building your real estate investing personal brand. My name is Paul Copcutt, and my mission is to help you, the busy real estate investor, stand out from the crowd so that people can find you easily, want to work with you, and can't wait to refer you. 
meaning you can build a successful real estate investing business without feeling inauthentic, overwhelmed with marketing, or spending all day doing it. Because marketing is how you get their attention, but personal branding is why they choose you. But before we begin, if you're a real estate investor looking to build your business and stand out from the crowd, and you don't want to wait for all the knowledge, strategies, and how-tos to be slowly delivered to you via this podcast every week, then I invite you to apply for the REI Branded Audit. That's the process I've created that has already helped dozens of real estate investors to define and develop their personal brands and build their real estate investing businesses. This audit is a mind-focusing, eye-opening insight addressing key questions like, is your message clear and is it consistent? Do you stand out as being different? Are you on people's radars and inspiring them enough to reach out and want to know more? The application only takes a few minutes and the link is in the show notes. After you apply, if it seems like I can help you, we'll set up an initial conversation to explain the audit in more detail and answer any questions you have. So if you're a real estate investor who is committed to building your personal brand and business this year, then I invite you to apply for the REI branded audit. Now back to the show. Welcome, Austin and Monica. Thank you for for joining us today. Websites, it's kind of a big topic. Is it something that people can do without? No, I don't that's think a, that's <laughs> a loaded question for sure. It's definitely in this day and age, everything is done online. And so you really need to be able to own your corner of the internet and you need to be able to own the content that you're putting out. There's a leadership uh, coach called Michael Hyatt. And he, he uses the best analogy, I think, for kind of online presence is he likens the website to your home country. So that's where you drive people to, if you want to go visit the country, you go visit the home, the, the website, but then social media platforms are like embassies. They give people yeah. a flavor for your country, but you want to drive them back. Yeah. So is that, uh, is that what you're thinking analogy. is? Yeah, it is a great analogy. It's kind of the easiest one. Why is a website important to a business kind of beyond, you know, because it needs to be there because we're all online, but what else are the important aspects people need to think about when they're thinking about a website? I think it's just a really good space to, you kind of control the marketing that happens on your website. So just like you were saying, you can pull people in using social media and other platforms and pull them into your website, but you control the story there. You control the conversation. So you can tell people exactly what you want them to know about your business. You can kind of push different things you're trying to sell or point them in certain directions. And it's just a space where it kind of has a negative connotation, this word, but manipulate people. You can kind of drive them to be where you want them to be. It's a really valuable space. Our attention spans are diminishing by the year. I've, I've seen that survey or something that was out there that we used to have, or we've got attention spans less than goldfish, but I think apparently that's not a true stat. <laughs> it's kind of effective, but how important is it to have if somebody lands on your website for the first time on that homepage? What are the things people need to be thinking about? to keep that person continuing to look through the website and not click away? That's an awesome question. We actually looked it up just before jumping on this call with you and people spend less than a minute on per page on your website. So you have less than 60 seconds to really capture someone's attention. So a couple of things you want to get right off the bat is you want them to know when they land on your page, who you are and who you serve so that they know that this website is right for them to hopefully prolong that 60 seconds as long as possible. And then you want them to know exactly what you are offering to them, what they're getting out of you. So you want them, you want to funnel them down your website to the point where they buy. So you want them to know who you are, what your message is, and then you want them to know how you're going to help them. And what are the kind of 
things that you need to be thinking about or tools or images. I mean, that's another thing is, you know, what are the visual things that you can do to help people follow that path? Yeah, I actually think your website is a really good example of this. If you go through it, a couple of things stand out. The first thing is hierarchy. So the things that are most important that you really want to get across to your visitors, you're going to make those bigger. You're going to make them bold. Maybe you're going to make it stand out so that if you're skimming, because most people aren't going to read everything on your website, people are going to skim it. And so they're going to look for the things that stand out and read those. And you know those big messages you want to make stand out. And then I would say another thing is having lots of buttons or your call to actions. You want to make sure those also stand out and make it clear kind of what you want people to click on. You can also break up a lot of the text with pictures or icon, different images, because really we are very visual people. We like being, we like reading stories through images. And so it helps a lot to have different pictures on your site. And it just breaks it up, makes it easier to, to go through and look at. In particular, pictures of people tend to like pictures of people and we like faces. And so if you are building a personal brand, having your own face on there, smiling, showing that you're trustworthy and easy to connect to is a great way to capture people's attention. That leads me to a question around personal brand. Take it further from a picture. How important is video? Would having the video be something you want to put on your website? And if you do, is it front and center? Yeah, we've seen and heard a lot of people who on their homepage, on the very top section on your homepage is often called the hero section. That's where you are, like Monica was saying, that's where you're telling them who you are and what you do. It's your place to make sure people know that they're in the right. And a lot of people will put a video there, like a short, keep it short, going back to the attention span, you know, 30 seconds, but just a quick little introduction video of yourself talking. And I, I do think that's a little bit step further, closer to making that connection with people, even more so than a picture. And what about once you've got somebody landed, you know, one of the things, biggest annoying things I have on when I go to websites is that pop-up, the, mm. you know, within three seconds, the email thing slides across, and then you've got to try and find the cross to take it off because yeah. you're still trying to read the page. I'm certainly a fan of collecting emails because that's a way to continue to keep in touch with people. But what about the timing of that kind of thing? And should you be offering some kind of incentive for people to exchange their email for? This is a really great question because I feel like this is something that a lot of people get wrong. So a lot of people, when you land on the website, instantly want to throw that in your face. And then, like you said, it's really annoying and you don't even necessarily know who is offering that to you yet. So what you want is you want them to be able to land on your hero section. You want them to be able to see who you are and start to build that know and trust that people need before purchasing from you. And then on the scroll down, once you hook them in and they want to know more and you start to scroll, that's when it's appropriate to put a pop in so that they already know that you are somebody that they potentially would be interested in buying from. You've hooked them in, that you've connected with them, and now they're scrolling down to see what your offers are. And that's a great time to put in the pop in. I would say out of personal preference, I really don't like pop-ups at all. And so I would say don't even put it on there. I would instead for just a section like a canvas on your page that you know, it's clear that you're making an offering and exchanging, you know, freebie for an email or whatever it is. I would just make that part of what you scroll through on the website personally. But if you feel like you really need or really want to pop up, like Monica said, put it a couple canvases down, make it so that once you scroll past a certain spot, then it pops up. Or after a certain amount of time, maybe 10-ish seconds, then it pops up. And what about the website, whether multiple pages or the one page scrolling, that seems to be the style now because we're 
mm-hmm. mostly on yeah. phones versus laptops. Is that what you're finding in terms of design? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're going to want to make sure you have enough on your your home page to tell them who you are, what your offer is again, and make sure that they can get all the information they need without having to click to another page because the likelihood of them clicking to another page is really low. And so you want them, whatever page they land on, whether that be your services page or your homepage, you want to make sure they have all the information they need on that page. It's another thing too. It helps a lot with SEO or search engine optimization. Google's going to find you better if there's more content on your homepage. There was a, a trend for a while where people would just put a huge picture on their homepage and nothing else. And then you click the menu and then you could go to other pages to learn more, mm-hmm. but there's no content there. And so Google's not going to recognize that as a valuable page. And so it's not going to prioritize that and show it to people. And so the longer your homepage is to an extent, the more information, the more value that you put on there, that's going to tell search engines that, you know, people want to read this page. And so it's going to help you be found easier. And you've underlined a point around search engines so that they're for people to understand they're constantly looking for new content as well. What are your recommendations around adding new content? What are the things that you'd recommend to your clients? There's a little caveat to that. It's new relevant content. So we've definitely (laughs) talked to people who are like, yeah, I can just, well, blogging is the way to do it. (laughs) Blogging is really, in my opinion, one of the best ways to do it. As well as um, if you're into podcasting or videos, you can embed those onto your website and you should, but then you should pull the transcript out. And so that you have keywords, you have relevant content. We've talked to a lot of people who are like, oh, I can blog about what I eat for breakfast. And that is, <laughs> that's going to kill your SEO faster than anything else. Make sure that you're, you're putting relevant content onto your website and you're publishing that. And that's through blogging is the main way. You can also do embed YouTube videos and podcasts as well. And what about things like backlinks? That's not. I've heard heard it a million times, but it's not something I'm really familiar with. Backlinks, they're powerful. They, they definitely help. You don't want to build them too quickly because again, if you build it too quickly, then that's going to tell Google that it's not authentic or it's not organic. So you want to build it at, at a constant, steady rate. And a good way to do that again is if you're doing podcasting or something, you know, have whoever your guest is or whoever your host is, share that link. And then you have another link to your website. You also want to link to other people's websites that are in the related industry because again that's going to tell google you know this person has a website that's linked to this other website about the same information we're going to prioritize both of those together so i guess for your audience we should probably clarify that backlinks are a link to your website from somebody else's website and then you also are going to want to have outgoing links which would be the website a link from your website going to another website that has relevant content obviously you don't want that to be on your homepage at all but that would be a great place like in your blogs if you're like, oh, check out this cool article about real estate, you know, and then you can link to their website that way. What about repurposing content? Am I right in thinking, ideally, you want the original piece of content on your own website? So you would ideally, you would publish your long form content, your blogs, your podcasts, your videos on your website, and then you would take the transcript of that, shorten it, tweak it, and then you can publish it across your social media or wherever else you're marketing. We've talked a little bit about kind of the important things around a website. So somebody listening today, they're thinking, okay, I know I need a website. What are the things that need to be on the website? How do you connect the website to their brand? I think that's a really good question because you are implying that there's a plan and there needs to be a plan. 
A lot of people just kind of jump into it and they, they'll just throw whatever they want on their website and there's not a lot of strategy behind it. And or they'll start a website and then start looking at other people's website and trying to hand pick, you know, I want this and I want that and and trying to make it a mesh of all the other websites that they like. But there really needs to be a strategy behind what you do. When we work with clients, what we'll do is we have what we call a brand clarifying questionnaire. And so we'll send that to our clients. And there's a bunch of questions about what your brand values are, what your goals for the website are. Like, is it really just to get information out there? Or do you want to try and get people to buy something? So we kind of flesh out what the purpose is or what they want to do with it and different questions like that. And then we'll take all the answers that they give us and we'll have a conversation with them and and kind of give them an outline or a wireframe, what we're going to put on the website, where we're going to put it and why. And then from there, once we have flushed that out with our client, then we'll start building it on our, our platform. We use a platform called Show It. And it's not until several steps into the process that we'll actually start putting stuff together and putting design on onto the platform to to get it to look good. What's the importance of doing that? Is that from a kind of an architecture, making sure that the sequence and everything follows first before you worry about dressing mm-hmm. it up, I guess, from want of a better yeah. description? Well, and as designers too, we really want to get to know our clients so that we can build a website that represents them. So that whole pre-prep process is just getting to know them so that when we do build a website, it truly reflects who they are and who their brand is. And I think there's two aspects. There's the design and the aesthetics of the website, and there's the strategy. And I think the strategy, personally, I believe the strategy is more important than the design. And so that's why we start with that. And we make sure we have a good foundation on our strategy to build our design around it. What about redesign? Because what are the things that need to be thinking about if they're thinking, okay, I need a redesign or my website needs bringing up to date? What do they have to consider before they kind of pull the trigger on that? So they want to consider who their audience is, first and foremost. You want to build your website so that it makes sense for your audience and that they are attracted to it. Then you want to look at what makes sense to you, what feels good for you, because you do ultimately want it to be a reflection of of who you are and who your business is. And then you want to make sure when you're writing your copy or when you're using a copywriter, that when you read it out loud, it sounds like something you would say. You want it to sound like you're just talking to somebody and expressing what's going on in your business. You're going to make it as personable as possible. And then you're going to make sure that you have really good eye-popping images that are really cohesive together. So your voice, you're, you're wanting to make sure it's a representation of your voice versus sounding stuff for your corporate. Okay. You mentioned a couple of the mistakes people make. What else? What other mistakes do people make when it comes to websites? So many different ways. <laughs> so many <laughs> different things. Actually, this is a really embarrassing example, but I'll share it anyway. We use a tool called Hotjar and it maps mm. your website so that you can see where people are going in and where they're clicking away. So you can kind of tell where, if you have a design flaw or anything like that. So we were watching our heat map and we realized that one of our links was broken and someone was trying to click that link seven times. And then that is what pushed them away from our website. This was an important link. It was a link to the navigation menu, which yeah. is really important. <laughs> so that's right. super embarrassing to share, but it happens to everybody. It's really easy to break links, like way easier than you think. So constantly going in and checking your links is a really important one. Another one would be not using keywords enough in your website or organically enough in your website, because Google can tell if you're stuffing your website with keywords and it doesn't make sense. 
They can right. also tell if you don't have those keywords, then they're like, I don't know what this website is. I don't, I'm not going to show that to somebody. So that's a really big one. I would say another huge mistake is not paying attention to the mobile side of your website. We just read a statistic today, actually, that 64%, and th this was a huge study, by the way, it was across 10 industries, there were like two point something billion users that were analyzed. And they found that about 64% of website visitors will view only on the mobile, on their phones, rather than on a desktop. And a lot of people spend a lot of time you know, tweaking and, and designing the desktop version but don't pay attention to the mobile when there's more people visiting that. And right. so it's really important to spend an equal amount of time, if not more time, you know, getting that part set up so that people on their phones, you know, see that it's a nice website, that it's all the links are there, all of the, everything's organized and so that they are more likely to stay when they're on their phones. I think you made the point earlier, Monica, about a target audience. And of course, the younger the target audience, the much more likelihood that 64% is 70, 80, 90%. I mean, I, th I think about my two kids and, you know, they're both 19 and 22. I never see them on a desktop right. or a laptop. I mean, it's very rare, very yeah. rare. I mean, it's if they're looking something up, it's, it's on a phone. So yeah. it's a great, great point to make. Again, I just wanted to make a quick plug, I guess, not for us, but the platform that we use, we use a platform called ShowIt. And kind of the big benefit to using ShowIt of many is that it's specifically created to design on the mobile version. There's a couple other platforms that we know of that are, are a little bit more difficult to do. Not that you can't, but it's harder. But show it is made, you can see kind of a, a phone view on the side of the desktop design view. And it makes it really easy to make it look good on your phones. So I just want to recommend anyone who's looking into building, check out show it, have a look and consider it. It's not one I've heard of because I mean WordPress is probably uh-huh the number number one i'm guessing for most kind of self-design yeah. or even for designers and then you've got wix and squarespace so there's a lot to, for people to choose again it does it depend on you know does the platform depend on again what you're trying to do with a website what your strategy is might dictate the type of platform that you go with yes wordpress for example is really good with seo like for bloggers it's really really good it's not good for diyers because it requires a ton of coding and it's kind of clunky you have to use a ton of plugins to make anything happen there's a huge learning curve and then WordPress. you have to make sure you maintain really well because if one plugin goes out your whole website can go out it's a little bit trickier that way wix is really good for diyers it's not great for for seo kind of purposes show it is our personal favorite we love show it and we specifically chose to use show it so that when we hand off a website to a client it's something that they own and they can maintain and they can update really easily if they want and it also uses wordpress for their blogging aspect so that you get kind of the best of both worlds you get the seo from wordpress and the easy design aspect. And the one thing show it's not great for though, is if you're going to do a really big e-commerce site, then you probably want something more like Shopify. And that's a good point about maintenance. How often should somebody be checking their website and, and from a maintenance perspective or updating software and things like that? Again, that kind of depends on the platform you're using. With WordPress, you probably want to be going in weekly, if not bi-weekly to make sure that everything's mm. running smoothly. With Show It, you can leave it a little bit more because they have a really great kind of backend maintenance team that will help you with your maintenance. But you do want to constantly be going in and checking your heat map, checking your links, just 
just so you know, like if there's a really easy fix that are bouncing people from your website, you want to, you want to know that and you want to fix that as soon as possible. We currently have a plan one to two times a month. We'll go on and check our Google analytics. We'll check our hot jar heat maps and just make sure everything's working well. Make sure people aren't bouncing off of pages for some reason. So I would say on average, probably one to two times a month is, is a good average. Just changing tack a little bit from websites to logos and no disrespect to anybody listening if you've got a logo with rooftops, but the real estate industry tends to, you know, if you're in real estate, then your logo has to have house roofs or something. <laughs> um, what are the things to consider around logos? Austin actually came up with a really great acronym when he was thinking about your audience and coming up with something really easy, and it's FEAST. So the first thing, the F stands for you want something that's flexible. So you want something that you can put on a business card. You want something that goes on a website. You want something that can go on the back of your car. You want something that can potentially go on a building or a billboard. So something that looks good in all of those spaces and all of those mediums would be the first. The E in Feast would be ease or a simplicity. The worst thing you can do is have a logo that has so many different elements and branches and you don't want it to look really complicated. You want it to be something where somebody can view it. I mean, a good rule of thumb is if you can view it on a billboard going down the freeway at 60 miles per hour and be able to recognize what it is and then be able to recreate it easily, then you know it's simple enough that people are. it's going to stick for people. It's going to be memorable. The biotech company that I used to work for in the UK many years ago, and their logo had seven different colors. On it. Wow. And the, the cost of every time you needed to print at the time, letterhead or business cards. Oh, and of course, it you had to find a printer that really knew how to get the colors right because otherwise they bled into each other and it just yeah. looked a complete mess. And, oh. that, that's a really good point. Beyond just the simplicity of looking at it, I mean, the more elements and colors you have, the higher, the more expensive it's going to be to print it in different places. Right. That's a good point. And what's the rest of your feast? So then we got A, so it's appropriate. So it's going to be appropriate for your audience. So you want to make sure that you're thinking about who you're trying to target and make sure that it's visually appealing for them. And I think this is why a lot of, going back to your point about houses for real estate, yeah. Yeah. people are thinking, oh, well, real estate houses, that's appropriate for my audience. And it is, but they kind of do that at the neglect of the uniqueness, I guess. Mm -hmm. So you, you want to be appropriate to your audience, but you also want to stand out. Sure. Okay, I'm going to ask a question around personal brand logos because something that I've seen and you can go online and get these kind of ready-made, not ready-made, but you can kind of plug in your name and they uh -huh. automatically dissolve, which I'm not a huge fan of. But letters, so first name, second surname, initials, seems mm -hmm. to be a very popular way. What are the benefits of that and what are the downsides of having a personal brand logo that just uses initials? The benefits to that is that people can immediately recognize that as you. So if you say Monica Mangelson, you would think of me, you know, you're not going to think of anybody else. You're going to be thinking of me. The bummer with that is when people use their, just their initials, that could be anybody. Like, for example, we have, we follow this lady, her name is Elizabeth McCravey and she uses EM a lot. And when I first saw that, I was like, EM, like who is EM? And it took me a while to connect that that was the same person. <laughs> right. That can kind of be a downside. And then if it's not legible, a lot of people like these really fun, fancy script fonts, but if it's not legible, like really quick, that can be a downside as well. Making me think too much. To, so right. yeah. 
I guess as another example, my little brother is starting up a car detailing business. So we're helping him get everything off the ground and get it moving. And his business name is letters, it's three letters, OCD. And we were trying to find him on Google the other day because he's just barely started. So we're trying to make sure that his Google My Business is set up and everything. And even just here in Utah, in, in the Salt Lake Valley, there are dozens and dozens of car detailing businesses with the same the same oh, letter. Really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which it, like it surprised 50. us. He thought he was being re- really unique and clever. And at the time we thought he was too, but then we didn't realize that there's a lot of people using the same letters. Wow. So that can be a downside is people have the same initials as you. And so you get kind of lost in, in that. That being said, I mean, our business, A&M Digital Design, we use our initials. We've tacked on a little extra end of that, but it's something that we use. And so there's definitely, there is a usefulness to it. Uh, if you're trying to create a personal brand and connect with okay and what's the s the s would be structure and you you want your logo to look balanced and kind of a good rule of thumb that i've heard about this is if your logo were a building would it stand or would it topple over so you you don't want too much to be visually on one side or the other you want it to look like it's it's well balanced like there's an equal amount of visual space and elements on all sides of your your design And then the T would be timelessness, meaning you don't want to get caught up in designing based on trends, things that are super popular right now, because it might be popular now, but a couple of years down the road, it probably won't be or might not be. And then you might have to redesign, which could be expensive. It could take a lot of your time. And so you want to try and stick to designs that kind of tried and true and something that's going to last more time. What about things like including a tagline or not? Is that... Or do you want something to stand on its own? And the company name, I guess, as well, would be one to kind of consider. Yeah. So you typically, when you make logos, you're going to want a logo suite. So you're going to want like a main logo that can have your tagline for like business cards. And then you're going to want a secondary logo that maybe doesn't have a tagline. So it's just your business name. And that might be something you use for like billboards or flyers or something. And then you'll want sub marks, which are like you can use as a favicon on your website or something like that. So typically it really depends on your setting. If it's something where someone is looking at your logo for long enough to read the tagline, that's a great place to put it. So you like your website, for example, but if it's on a billboard, they're not going to have time to read that. So you're going to want to keep it simple. It goes back to, it depends. It really does depend because it depends what you're using it for, where you're using it, how you're using it. So, and color, what about color? Now, orange, I understand Austin is a popular color of yours. Because, <laughs> I saw on your social media or on your website was uh, yep. mentioned about orange. But. It's really grown on me. I got to say, <laughs> orange to like the color orange. Those kind of fans of color and, and you know, very often people say, oh, well, if you're in real estate, you should be blue because it's trust or dark blue because it's mm-hmm. trust. And how important is that? Or is it more about, again, going back to personal brand and what's appealing to the audience? I would say it's more important about personal brand and going back to your audience. So you can very easily make yourself look like everybody else. That's super easy to do. But if you know exactly who you're targeting, you're going to know that what colors that they're going to want to see. So for example, if you are a real estate agent who really wants to help 
single moms get into houses and that's your target market. And you're really focused on that. And I don't even know if real estate works like that, but let's just go with the example. Single moms is your target. Then you're going to put maybe some pinks and maybe some purples or maybe some more neutral colors because you know that moms right now are really into neutral colors and you're going to do something a little bit more feminine to attract your audience to you, if that makes sense. And then you'll be way more eye-popping against all the dark blues. So that helps too. One thing that we have to try and balance when we are designing for people and creating logos and and putting together a brand identity is you have this whole color psychology that you can look into. And just like you were saying, blue is kind of evokes this feeling of trust. Colors like yellow are going to make you more happy and excited. So depending on what your goal is and what your business is, you can play around with different colors to kind of evoke those feelings and emotions in people. So we have to balance that with also personal preference because it is a personal brand. If you don't want to use the color yellow, if the the business owner hates the color yellow or orange, for example, (laughs) you know, there's a balance there between the color psychology and the intended audience. And also there is absolutely an element of personal preference on the business owner's part. What about your own brand? What's, do you have a favorite personal brand and why? Yeah, I kind of mentioned her before. I'm a huge fan of Elizabeth McCravey. I think she's very good at owning her space and saying, this is me. This is what I like. She's also very, she's just very knowledgeable. I find to follow. And what does she do? What? She's a web designer. She started out as a web designer and brander just like us, but she has kind of transitioned into the teaching space. And so now she teaches marketing. She does a lot of business strategy as well. A lot of her stuff is geared mostly for designers, but there's a lot of her content that is really beneficial and powerful for several other industries. What about you, Austin? Do you have a favorite personal brand? I definitely like Elizabeth McCravey. We've really delved into a lot of her stuff together. Another one that I really like, there's this guy named Neil Patel. You might have heard of him. He's the Uber Suggest guy, if you've heard of Uber Suggest. His big thing is SEO and marketing, and he really stands out in in that industry as one of the leaders. I think Austin just liked him because his brand colors are orange. But I was going to say his brand colors <laughs> are orange. That was I, that was going to be my immediate I question. Really... Only shops at Home Depot. Okay, I got it. What about te- you? Mentioned your favorite web design tool. Is there any other favorite tools or resources that you're enjoying using at the moment? Yeah, I mean, we mentioned Hotjar and Show It. We love those two a lot. Outside of that. We really like Dubsado as a client management system. It's really awesome for sending emails, for keeping track of all your clients and your projects and what you have going on. You you mentioned that on your website, or I came across it when I was looking at your backgrounds. How similar is Dubsado to, do you know Basecamp at all? I actually have no experience with Basecamp. Do you have this? I have never used it, but I've heard about it. And from what I understand, I think... Dubsado is more of a client relationship platform where you're, you know, faced interacting with your customers. And I think Basecamp is more of a task management, project management. Yeah, project management. I use it with my clients, but it is for sharing tasks and projects and and knowing where everything is. It's all Uh in one place. But I I got the impression Dubsado, you can kind of do invoicing and Mm -hmm. there is a CRM element and email. And so it sounds like an all in one. Yeah. Honestly, a lot of those programs, there's a lot of crossover and they're all really good. And they, some of them have different strengths and different weaknesses and stuff. I don't know. We dabbled in a lot of programs for a while before settling on Dubsado. And ultimately the advice we were given was find one, stick with it, make it work for you. Unless there's a huge problem and then switch. So. Yeah. So we mostly use Dubsado for our client interactions, like emails and invoicing and whatnot. 
And then we use Microsoft's to do just for our own personal business, just for tasks that need to get done, reoccurring things. So we use a combination of the two. Do you have a favorite business book or podcast? Yeah, we both kind of have the same podcast. We both really like the Dual on Air podcast. It's actually a relatively new podcast, but they're very fun. It's a the, part of the reason I think we like them is because they're business partners that work together. And so building a personal brand with two people is a little bit, it feels a little bit squished sometimes. <laughs> so it's fun <laughs> to listen to them and how they do it. Yeah, that's an interesting question for the two of you, because you are building a brand A&M designs, but it's two personal brands under one umbrella. What are the challenges you faced or is there anything that as branders and, and marketers? It's, it's been <laughs> tricky. And I would say just right off the bat, we're by no means experts in it yet. There's always learning <laughs> and we're always trying to figure it out. But it is tricky because we are two different people. We have two different personalities. And I mean, as you're trying to create a personal brand and then there's two personalities in a personal brand, it can get tricky. And there's been some stepping on toes and there's been trying to you know, work out different strategies and of how we're going to show up on Instagram and how we're going to show up on our website. I personally would say the biggest issue for us would be figuring out whose voice to the right in, you know, to keep that right. consistent because we talk very different because we're different people, you know, that's, that's a very good point. Much. So I guess a tip would be just experiment with different ideas. We tried for a while, both just as an example on how we're trying to show up on Instagram. We tried for a while, like just both being on there all the time and that didn't work out super well. So currently we're experimenting with Monica's taking the lead on it one month and then I take a lead on it the next month. We're halfway through that. So we'll see how it goes. And then we might reevaluate <laughs> and try a new strategy. But I think that's a, a good tip is just experiment with different ideas and, and see what works for you. Because it's going to be different for every business partnership. And do you have a favorite? So I, I was thinking about this. I was like, what? What could be a really good quote to share? And I I never have one quote always in my head that I just always reflect on because I like so many different quotes. And it, it really depends on what kind of what stage of life or what mood I'm in, I guess. But one that I've been reflecting on a lot the past couple of days is a quote. It's attributed to Dr. Seuss. I've heard that it wasn't actually him who said it, but he said, be who you are and say what you feel because those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't. And I really like that in this space of personal branding because inevitably as you're trying to create a personal brand, you're going to offend some people. You're never going to be able to say and share a message that's a perfect fit for everyone. And really to embrace a personal branding strategy, you're going to have to be okay with not everybody liking you. But that's really why I like this quote is that's okay. Like people aren't going to like you. That's fine. Don't worry about them. But there are going to people who there are going to be people who love what you say, love what you do. And those are really the ones that need to matter to you because they're the ones who are going to build, help build your business. You've made a really good point, Austin, because I think people are so tempted to, well, I don't want to do this because that may not, that may not attract these people. And I don't want to do this because that may not. Attract. And then they're trying to be something to everybody. And then they end up being nothing to anyone. And exactly. Yeah. yeah. Monica, do you have a favorite quote? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to tell right off of Austin's and give it good. And how can people find out more about you and, and the services that you offer? A good place to connect with us is our website. It's A and M Digital Design, and and is spelled out. So it's A A N D M Digital Design.com. We also really like connecting with people on Instagram, and that is A and M dot Digital Design, and is spelled out again A A N D M dot Digital Design. And you mentioned that you've got something for people listening in terms of a free resource. So did you want to mention that? 
We do. It's the brand clarifying questionnaire that we mentioned earlier. It's just a list of questions that really help flesh out the your goals for your business or your website, your brand, how to piece it together so that it reflects you as a person, but also helps you reach your goals. And so we'll have that as a, a freebie. You can sign up uh, with your email. You can get it and we'll have that on our website. Wonderful. Well, it's been great meeting the two of you and thank you for your insights on, on websites and logos and uh, have yourselves a brandtastic day. Thank you so much, Paul. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. Has that opened up your eyes to why these two highly visual elements of your personal brand are so important? There was certainly a lot to consider in what Monica and Austin had to share. And your website in particular is a work in progress, so don't feel that it all has to be correct right away. What I'd suggest is perhaps pick one recommendation for your website, perhaps the Hotjar tool to see where people are going on your website and what they're doing. Or run your current logo through their FEAST acronym and see if it meets all the criteria or whether a redesign might be needed. Either way, make sure that the next time someone comes across your real estate investing business, they remember you for the right reasons. Have a brandtastic day. Well, was that brandtastic? Did it give you some ideas and actions that you can take right now to build your business? So get to it. And if you're wondering where your real estate investing brand currently stands and some steps to make it more brandtastic, you can download our free REI brand checklist at reibranded.com forward slash checklist. That's reibranded.com forward slash checklist. Thank you for listening and have a brandtastic day.